Thank you for listening to Culture and Agriculture. My name is Tate Cronin with the University of Tennessee Institute of Agriculture, and today we are sitting down with Jake McNeil, corn and soybean specialist with the UT Department of Plant Sciences. Jake, how are you today? I am great, Tate. Thank you for having me. Uh, we've been talking about doing this for a while, and I've been the one that's kind of been pushing it back, pushing it back, been busy, but I appreciate it. Glad to be here today. Absolutely. I know you're one of our newer faculty members, so I wanted to make sure that everyone got the chance to know a little bit about you and what you're doing here at the center. So I have, I, I took on this position, Extension Corn and Soybean Specialist, March 1st of this year. So I'm certainly the new guy. Dr. Angela McClure retired sometime July, I believe, of last year. And so I have a 100% extension appointment. What that means, my interpretation of that is 100% applied research. And that means that the, the research and extension program that, uh, that we put forth is doing our best to answer practical applied questions for producers in the state. My goal is always basically at the conclusion of any trial or experiment that we have a fairly immediate answer. And if it's going to take longer than two to three years to, to cultivate something, then it's probably going to be something that we also collaborate with other researchers with. But if it's uh, something that is centrally housed within my research program, it's going to be pretty applied. That's the goal. That's fantastic. Now, the big question is, what all have you been doing this uh, summer, and this growing season? I know that you've been doing a lot of work primarily with talking about ways to improve yield. So what has been some of the projects you've been working on? So as I mentioned, I began on March the 1st. That's a really good time to start a new job, and it can also be pretty challenging. Um, coming in really just a few weeks before planting season gets kicked off, did not have a lot of time to formulate my own research program beginning this year, but that doesn't mean that we didn't do anything. I, I actually think we did quite a lot with the amount of time and resources that we had. So anything, a lot of times I get asked the question, what is an agronomist? What does an agronomist do? Sometimes a weed scientist or a pathologist or an entomologist, that the title itself is sort of self-explanatory with who they are and what they do. An agronomist is someone who is interested with in my opinion, anything and everything that impacts plant growth and development and yield. So that's kind of a broad topic, but I am focused on right now the impact that planting date, relative maturities or maturity groups, planting populations, spatial geometry of how we plant in the field, row spacing, skip row, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things produce a very predictable response in plant growth and development. And in Tennessee, and in particular West Tennessee, we have a pretty unique and special agricultural system in that we are almost 100% no-till. We adopted that practice uh, in the late 1980s, primarily due to concerns with erosion control. Uh, in West Tennessee, we were losing around 40,000 tons of topsoil per acre due to conventional tillage practices, which is pretty common most everywhere else and there's good reasons for that so we had to learn how to farm when in no-till and that has a lot of implications with the kind of equipment that we use how we plant my program has been looking at the implications of that as to when we plant so if you're in a no if you're under no tillage as a, as a conservation practice what that means is that you're going to have soils that into the late spring months and when I, when I say spring I'm usually talking about late March, early April, that are cooler and wetter for longer because they don't have any aeration. That soil hasn't been turned over. 
and they're going to stay cooler and wetter for longer. Well, that means that sometimes that's going to push your planting dates back a little bit further. And so I'm looking at kind of pulling those planting dates back a little bit earlier and earlier. And that's not a new or novel practice. Other states in our surrounding uh, mid-southern and southeastern agricultural areas, uh, they do that quite a bit, but they also will have a certain amount of tillage in their operations as well that allows them to get in there and plant a little bit earlier. So the, the plants respond in, in a very specific way to that altered environment. When we pull a planting date back earlier and earlier, we're putting it into a cooler environment. Some of those early environmental constraints can impact vegetative growth early season in a really certain way. It impacts corn and soybean extremely differently. And so um, that, that's, kind of, that's one of the, the major directions that I'm looking with some of our work. Uh, building off of some of what other states have done, but making it really specific to where we are in Tennessee. And um, and there's other impacts as well. That, that kind of impacts your weed control program, mid and late season disease pressure. Nevertheless, it's something that we're really interested in and had a, quite a bit of success with that this year in 2023. Had some really good yields, uh, but more than just good yields from planting early. Uh, our data came back as a, a specific response to each individual planning date. And so we're going to build on that with some of the proposals and the grants that we're going after for 2024. And that'll be the direction that we, that we go in for a little while. Do you have any specific advice? Is there enough data at this point to recommend to farmers maybe changing or slightly adjusting their current planning times or farming practices, or is it still just too early to tell? So here's, here's the, the dilemma that we're in. When growers are in a, a grain rotation, meaning a producer is not going to only farm soybeans or only corn or only cotton, they're, all, they're going to be in, in a rotation of those multiple crops. And so planting dates for soybean and corn often overlap or they're very, very close. And so logistically speaking, it's hard to gear up for, to plant one crop and then swap over to another one and then potentially swap back to the first one like we would be in certain scenarios. And that those the logistical constraints there are even compounded more if it's if a grower is planting corn, cotton, and soybeans, you know, in the same operation. Logistically, there's some real challenges there. What I would offer is that based on a lot of data for, for, from all over the U.S. and even some of ours from Tennessee, I do suggest consider planting at least a portion of your soybeans earlier than what you would normally mean. Now, early is kind of a relative term. What I mean by early is somewhere usually, uh, well, let's call it before corn. Corn is extremely sensitive to at planting soil conditions, and so you are forced to wait until the soil uh, and the soil temperature the, and the conditions are really prime before you begin planting corn. The yield penalty for getting it wrong at planting is pretty severe. And so soybeans, though, do not respond that way. We can get away with delayed emergence or uneven emergence due to colder temperatures in soil um, without those drastic yield penalties. Soybeans just don't behave the same way that corn does. And so what I usually offer as information or as a suggestion to producers is if you, whatever portion of soybeans that you're planting acreage-wise, consider putting a small portion of that before corn. Whatever that means for you planting date-wise, consider a couple hundred acres early. Um, the, the yield penalty associated with soybeans really picks up after May the 1st. Um, 
other states, especially the, the corn and soybean growing states, Illinois, Iowa, uh, Missouri, there's a drastic yield penalty close to 0.8 bushels per day associated with planting soybeans after May the 1st. Some of the preliminary data that we have from this year suggests that there's also a yield penalty, about half that, somewhere between 0.3 to 0.4 bushels per day from April the 1st out to May the 1st, and then it picks up drastically close to a bushel per day after that. That's assuming that everything else goes right in the rest of the season, right? If you plant early, sometimes you have conditions in the crop canopy that if disease shows up later in the, in the year, you now have a, a, a lapped crop canopy, uh, lack of sufficient air movement through that canopy during the time, and if disease is present, it, it, it can really take off. And so that is one potential issue that we're looking to manage and work with with early planted soybeans. And so that's why I say even though you know, some of the data that we looked at this year, we had an incredible response to an early planting date in a soybean production system. But maybe to your point, that doesn't mean, hey, let me go plant all of my soybeans that early now, or let me shift everything prior to corn. I think a practical management plan moving forward, and I do think that we have the data to stand on this, would be to say, we, if, if conditions do allow, we can start planting soybeans as early as the last week in March. Plant a couple hundred acres there. When it's time to plant corn, swap over to corn. The yield penalty there is really drastic if we push that out past late April and into early May. Then, if you need to come back and finish up your soybean acres when you're done with corn, make that transition. Now, the exception to that is, uh, in fact, the past two years, we've had some pretty good luck planting corn, you know, at the normal time. Then as we get into super late April, early May, some of our lower yields have come from that planting window. But then about May 15th, the yields pick back up for any super late planted corn. When we do that, we're skipping over the point at which that corn is pollinating during the driest time of the year. Usually in early May, first week of May, uh, that's primary cotton planting time if growers have cotton. But it, on the acres that we've seen corn planted during that planting window, we're, we're taking a yield hit because we're seeing a convergence of when that corn is pollinating, um, silk production, extremely sensitive time to stress in that corn's life cycle is happening during the driest, hottest portion of the year. However, if you just wait another seven to 10 days, potentially two weeks, the time that that corn is going to be tasseling, pollinating, and silking is now on the backside of the hottest, driest time of the year. And we still have time for that plant to grow vegetatively, reproduce, and, and produce yield. So uh, depending on weather patterns, which the environment is the single one element that we have zero control over at all, Depending on weather patterns, um, there's sort of a, there's two, the primary planting window for optimum yield is going to be during the month of April. However, we're also seeing some, some good planting windows, usually in the second week of May. Not, the yield potential is not there like it is in April, but it's better than the early part of May. And so there's always things to work around every year's different uh, equipment failures, replants due to weather, uh, a failed stand establishment for some reason. Uh, we, you know, every year is different and, uh, and we're working to provide as many potential solutions for growers as we possibly can depending on the exact circumstances of each year. So based on that, in 2024, what are we looking at? How are you guys going to be building off of this research you've already done? Yeah, excellent question. 
So we do have some, what I would call very preliminary data from this year with respect to planting date, population, um, doing some work in desiccating soybeans, using harvest aids in those systems. When I say preliminary, I usually mean one site year, meaning one year and one location within that year. But we are building off of what we've done this year. And in 2024, uh, one, of the, one of the bigger projects and undertakings that we're gonna put in a location here at the West Tennessee Education Center um, we have a massive planting date by maturity group study for soybeans. We're going to have planting dates ranging from March, either March 15th or March 21st, somewhere in that window is going to be planting date number one. We're going to take our, the planting dates at two week intervals through the beginning of July using five different maturity groups from an early three all the way to a five. The objective of this data set is to look at a couple of things. One, across time, we could simply ask the question, what maturity groups do we need to be planting in our latitudes in Southern Tennessee, Middle Tennessee? Um, it's not going to vary as a function of West, Central, and Eastern Tennessee by any great degree. And even North to South Tennessee, we're, we're a fairly skinny state North to South, so not a lot of change in latitude. I think that this location in Tennessee, uh, at the West Tennessee Research Education Center it's going to be very representative of the entire state. And so we're going to be able to look at both planting date and maturity group for the state of Tennessee across a, you know, a wide range of planting dates representing both, we could say, early planted soybean, uh, normal, quote unquote, planting dates for full season soybean, and also wheat planted beans, those planting dates. Um, also looking at a couple of studies, I've got a graduate student who's going to be looking at um, planting date and planting population. For, for a long time, um, soybean seed has been a relatively cheap input cost relative to corn seed or cotton seed. Certainly not cheap by any means, but relative to other costs, it's been, from a seed cost perspective, it's been a little bit cheaper. We're moving in a direction with seed technology now and all of our crops where that's probably short-lived. And so, not only from a seed cost savings perspective, but also looking at the plant response to how soybeans grow, develop, set their fruit load and yield, depending on planting population. If we plant a, as we reduce planting populations in soybean, what happens is those plants become bushier. They begin to branch out laterally instead of simply growing taller and taller and taller. So we're shifting the capacity of that plant from vegetative to more reproductive growth, which in and of itself is a good thing. So what is the best planting population for soybeans? Uh, I usually answer that question from the standpoint of whatever it takes for you to have a final plant stand of greater than 100,000 plants per acre. This year, our top yields came from plant stands that had 109,000 plants per acre. Um, we planted 139,000, so we lost some there. So it isn't a question of how much do you plant it's how much do you have to plant to get at least that 100 to 110,000 final plant stand. As I mentioned, we're going to do some work, uh, you know, with, with a, maybe a little bit of a re renewed interest in soybean production because of the, the responses that we're seeing in yield from some of these practices that we're looking at. Um, harvest aids uh, are becoming of interest. Now, if we were talking cotton, everyone would know what we were talking about with a, with a harvest aid in cotton. You defoliate the crop at a certain time. It aids in leaf drop and bowl opening. Well, we use products in a similar fashion in soybean production systems, but you don't have to. Soybean are a, a, an annual plant. 
they dis, um, they senesce and die on their own, but sometimes it doesn't happen in a very uniform manner. You can have pods that are physiologically mature. The pods themselves are ready to be harvested, but you've still got green stems and leaves. A harvest aid uh, desiccates, dries down the crop in the field in a very uniform and timely manner, but it's not something that has been widely adopted in Tennessee. In other states, absolutely. Um, nearly every acre may receive a harvest aid. But in Tennessee, um, we're, that's not something that we're super familiar with. And so we're looking at several different studies to evaluate both the application of desiccants or harvest aids and also harvest timing. Now for corn, we're doing some things, uh, we're doing several studies as well. We're gonna continue uh, a fertigation study where we're looking at put, putting 30 pounds of nitrogen as UAN through the pivot at various timings. We're looking at planting populations, row spacing. We're even gonna have a study where we're looking at skip row corn. Now, that's a kind of an interesting concept. It's not novel, it's adopted in cotton production systems. We're wanting to learn as much as we possibly can here in Tennessee about how corn responds to different spatial planting arrangements. And so a lot of interesting things. I think I'm mostly focused on plant response to different practical planning scenarios and management systems. Um, we like to do, we, we do work with various companies when they're interested in working with something, a little bit of weed control work um, here and there, but from an agronomic standpoint, we're, uh, we've got a lot to look forward to in, for the next year and uh, looking forward to, to getting out and, and meeting more and more folks. This year has been good, but um, we're, we've still got a long way to go. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today. We've enjoyed having you. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.